Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, Channel Pros. Here we are already in the second month of 2021. The year is moving fast, too fast for some of us and not fast enough probably for those of you living once again in a COVID lockdown. Uh, My heart goes out to you. That's just awful. One of the things we can work on, though, even in a lockdown or in a remote-only business environment, is our relationships and building our own channel communities. That's one of my goals with this podcast, both to expand my channel community and introduce you to folks that you can add to your network. And you can help me expand the Channel Journeys community. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening. Recently, I had the pleasure of meeting today's guest, Mark Bregman, who has made a career out of the economics of successful partnerships. He's so passionate about this topic that he wrote a book and launched a company both called Partnernomics. Today, you're going to learn more about Partnernomics, the five phases of successful partnering, four of which take place before you even sign a contract with the partner. Before we jump into that conversation, I want to highlight a critical element of a successful partner program. Once you start building an ecosystem of partners, most likely of different shapes and sizes, you want to have a partner relationship management system, or PRM, to automate the many elements of your partner program. Magentrix, the sponsor of Channel Journeys, offers a very impressive solution for quickly creating a partner portal that has full-blown bi-directional integration with Salesforce, Microsoft Dynamics, and HubSpot. And Magentrix offers a huge selection of functionality that comes included out of the box at no extra charge. Stay tuned. At the end of the show, I'm going to tell you about a special offer for Magentrix. All right. Are you ready to learn some partnernomics? Let's go. Mark Bregman, hey, good afternoon, happy new year, and welcome to Channel Journeys. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing, Rob? I am fantastic. Got a nice sunny day here in Georgia, so I'm happy. Can't beat those. You got to take advantage of them. Yes, you do. Absolutely. (laughs) Hey, uh, where are you hunkered down right now? I'm in Kansas City. So this is the home base, and we do not have beautiful weather right now. I'm looking out the window and seeing a snowstorm come in, so we're we're hunkered inside (laughs) for sure. Well, perfect time to do a podcast then. Absolutely. Well, thanks for, for joining me. Uh, I, I was able to, to hop on with you and, and be on the other side of the microphone, and now it's your turn. Yeah, thanks for doing that. It'll be interesting to see uh, how it's different. I, I don't know if it's easier to ask questions or answer questions, but so we'll, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> well, you'll find out. It's fun either way is what I find. Um, for those of you who don't know you, Mark, you you run a company called Partnernomics. You've been at it for a little while. Can you just share for the audience uh, what what Partnernomics is all about? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, so I guess my journey started over twenty years ago. I just got really lucky, and uh, I, I guess my I guess it started even earlier than that. I was in the Marines in the Marine Corps Reserves, and uh, my specialty was telecommunications. And so after I finished college, I had an opportunity to go work at Sprint at their world headquarters here in Kansas City and quickly found this world of partnerships, strategic partnerships, you know, biz dev and absolutely fell in love, was uh, at Sprint for 13 years, running over 400 partnerships in seven major teams, including, you know, running Sprint TV, which was really cool, doing, doing a lot of different partnering initiatives. 
for those 13 years. And then I was uh, an executive at a national software company, COO, and then also running all the, the partnerships there. Did that for three years and then decided it was time to, to jump out and to work with companies doing partnerships. And uh, so that was six years ago that we launched Partnernomics as a company. And man, it's so fun. I mean, I, I, looking back in my time at Sprint and just chatting with other folks, you know, we've always heard, I believe it was Mark Twain that said, you know, if you, if you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life. And literally if I won the lottery today, nothing would change for me other than I wouldn't ever stress about bills. <laughs> I'll continue <laughs> to do what I do. So I feel really fortunate to be able to do this for a living. That's great. And well, thank you for your service too in the Marines. That's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely, man. It was a, it was an absolute pleasure and joy. So Partnernomics, tell me what you guys do. How do you help companies and what types of companies are you helping? Yeah. So we, you know, so I probably need to provide a little bit more backstory on this. So, you know, so I'm in my career at Sprint doing my thing, getting, you know, two, three, four, five years into doing this partnering thing. And then they start to entrust me to lead larger initiatives, these big, um, you know, different, uh, different initiatives. And I, you know, was chatting with my buddies that I went to college with who were in sales roles. And they tell me about, you know, these, these week-long sales boot camps that they go to in the Sandler sales training system and these various training systems and methodologies and Zig Ziglar and all of these uh, thought leaders in sales and, you know, how to, how to do sales more efficiently. Right. And so I'm asking my bosses, you know, these different VPs and stuff that are you know, leading our departments. It's like, you know, where's my partnership uh, boot camp that you can send me to for a week where I can learn a methodology or just kind of stand something up next to what we're doing so I can see where we're good and where we have opportunities for improvement. And they said, Mark, well, nothing like that exists. Don't worry about it. You know, you'll get 10 years into your career and then you'll start to get kind of comfortable with how to do this partnering thing. You, you know, just learn by trial and error. That's, that's what we all do. That's and, what most of us have learned. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, you know, as an economist by education, I'm an efficiency freak. So I want to make the most out of every dollar and every minute that I possibly can. And I, also, I guess, from my time in the, in the Marines, I'm kind of a process guy. I just see the efficiencies in solid processes. Mm -hmm. And so I set out and, and jumped into a, a college research program. And all of my research questions were centered around the imperatives of partnership success and the various processes that tie together, that link together for partnership success. And so I was uh, in that program for eight years. I'm a really slow learner. Eight uh, years, eight man. Eight years. So I was in that program for eight years, <laughs> finally hit the finish line, had hundreds and hundreds of pages of, of research and information. And, and, and frankly, just like I said, I got lucky and was able to, to kind of cheat, as I say, because you know, I was leading all these different partnerships at Sprint. Well, Sprint was partnered with the Apples, the Googles, the SAPs, the Dells, the all of these, you know, companies that, that have rich histories of, of partnerships. Well, I had direct access into those senior executives that have been leading partnership initiatives and teams and departments for decades. And so I used them as a part of my research and eventually, you know, had hundreds of these conversations. 
And then so coming out of this college program, I have all of this information, all these different frameworks, and still nothing like this exists for us as partnering professionals. And so that's when I made the leap of faith and uh, begged my wife to let me start a, a company, a training and consulting company to work with companies. And that's when I uh, wrote Partneronomics, the book, and I just set it out as a general framework and a philosophy around partnerships. And then we launched the, the company itself. And so, yeah, it's, it's really a global company. I mean, literally yesterday I was talking to uh, people from three different countries uh, on two different continents. Well, that's not even including the United States. So <laughs> it's, it's amazing what the Internet can do, but it's amazing, you know, just what, what our company has done in the, in the, over the past six years. Interesting. And, and with that sprint experience, do you tend to focus more on the telco type communications companies or, or not necessarily? No, not at all. Um, that's, a, that's the thing about partnerships that's so awesome is every company can, can leverage the power of partnerships. So it doesn't, and, you know, it doesn't matter which industry. And, and my, my background is really kind of spans a, a lot of different industries, right? So like even at Sprint, um, you know, I, so I, like I said, I ran Sprint TV. So I, I had you know the opportunity for three years to work with different studios and, and work with folks in that space. Music, you know, we worked, um, you know, the, with Sprint Music and had an opportunity to work with record labels and those sorts of folks. Um, but even like our partners themselves, sometimes it's a, a food services company. And so we get to learn about the food services industry and how we could provide solutions to them. Insurance, I mean, just all the way across the board, healthcare, I mean, all of these different industries use telecom. So I had the opportunity to learn about these different industries and how, and how they use telecom. But then from a partnering perspective, um, I mean, it's similar to sales, right? It doesn't matter what industry you're in, you have to understand sales. Well, partnering is uh, similar, but obviously different in that every company, it doesn't matter what size, what industry, you can leverage the power of partnership. So the the types of partners you're leveraging, the actual partners that you're using in your strategy could differ, but the overall process methodology applies across industry. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So you, you share with me some of your training materials and there was one that I wanted to hone in on what you call the five phase partnering process. And I, and I'm assuming from what you're saying, this applies, whether I'm a software company, a hardware company, a, a food company or whoever, whatever industry, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Excellent. Can you take us through that? Let's, let's dive into that. Sure. That five phase process. Yeah. So I guess Rob, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to just kind of s step up just one layer and, and provide a little bit of backdrop, and then we can definitely dig into the five phases. But uh, you know, over the course of really, I would say 12, 13 years of, of research, kind of specifically, uh, not only with me being a partnering professional in the trenches, but then looking at it from, from a kind of a research perspective, trying to come up with these frameworks, what I eventually arrived at is that there's two core processes that every partnering function needs to build and adopt and use. And the first is what we call the, the strategic partner leadership model, the SPLM. And that's our version of an operating system, right? So just like your laptop and your phone has an operating system, um, we believe that every partnering function within an organization should have an operating system. 
And so that's kind of one component, one piece. We call it the strategic. What, Mark, what would be what would be an? Are you talking like a PRM, or what would be an example of an operating system that you're the way you're describing it? Yeah. So so basically, what it is. So it's it, has, it serves two two different functions. One function is it becomes like an operating model, almost kind of like a business model, if you will. But it becomes like an operating model for your function itself. And then a second uh, benefit or a second task that this system has is it becomes a system to operationalize your partnerships after they're signed. So how do you manage them? Mm-hmm. And so the the strategic partner leadership model, right, that operating system, it has six different components. So, you know, the, the first is what we call vision, the vision component. Mm-hmm. So this is vision, mission, core values. It's who are you as an organization? Where are you going? And it's kind of the Simon Sinek, your why, you know, yeah. why why do you exist? What are you trying to do? And really, this kind of spells out the, the purpose that you have. And the value that comes in that is, you know, there's there's been dozens and dozens of studies put out over the last, I would say, you know, two decades that suggest approximately 70% of B2B partnerships or third-party partnership, uh, third-party partnerships fail. End in failure within two years, mm-hmm. 70%, right? So the big question is why? Well, so many people, whenever they want to look at and investigate partnership failure, they say, okay, you know, company A and company B signed the deal three years ago, and then these certain things happened. And then these certain things is what led to the demise. Well, what we believe is over 50% of the failure can be eliminated before the deal is signed, right? It's about looking at alignment. It's about looking at each company's strategy, where they're trying to go, and doing that front due diligence work to make sure that the two organizations even should have a partnership together. And I can tell you most of the time, they shouldn't. But it's it's not until we start to really define who we are as a company, what we're trying to provide, the path that we're going to be on, we need to identify that first in order for us to understand who will even be a good partner for us. So many times our executives or even ourselves, we say, well, I need access to a healthcare industry. I need access to um, a certain software package or a certain suite of solutions. I need access to more salespeople. We just think about the resource that we need. And we don't think of the bigger picture of what really goes into partnership success. That's a really great point, Mark. I've seen so many examples where a sales rep will come and say, hey, we've got to sign up this partner. He's got to lead for me. And so you sign them up, but then you find out later, there's no alignment on vision. There's no alignment on mission. There's no alignment on core values. And and it's an absolute failure. And many times that first lead never came through anyway. You never won the deal. So you didn't get anything out of it except wasting a lot of resources. Yeah, absolutely. So many times we don't we don't compute or we don't uh, think about the cost of just putting partnerships together. Uh, you know, let alone if they don't produce any fruit. Obviously, that's a waste. But there's there's a significant investment that goes into standing up new partnerships and just even having partners connected to us. There is there is a real cost to that. Yeah, and a lot, just so much time and energy. That's that's wasted. Absolutely. All right. So what's next? You got the the vision, 
the mission, the core values? Yeah. So that's all in the vision element. And then okay. the, the second, so this, the strategic partner leadership model, it's, it's six elements. So the first is vision. The se- I'm just going to go through these real quick, uh, Rob, that way we can okay. spend some more time on the five phases piece. The second element is teams, right? So teams is all about people. And so it's, it's working internally, right? Even with our own organization, cross-functional leadership is such a critical piece to effectively managing partnerships and being able to internally within our companies work with marketing, work with product, work with operations, work with our executives, work with finance on business cases, work with legal, you know, putting agreements in place, working with all these folks, understanding people, understanding behaviors, understand how to identify and overcome conflict, right? Conflict is is a part of what we do. Conflict management is a part of this. And so being mindful of behaviors and as leaders, we need to be able to identify those certain behaviors. And then, then we need to be able to shift gears and be able to speak to and work with other individuals based upon their behavior language. Yeah. Right. That's really what leadership is, is us having the humility and us being able to change gears and not expect our partners or not expect even other folks within our organization. Maybe it's the the CMO. Maybe it's the the attorney that we're working with. We need to be able to adjust and, and speak to them in their language. And that's a real skill. And that's kind of what that's what the team's element is all about. Yeah, that, that's so critical. We've spent the last year and a half just getting that alignment mm. across all of the teams from the from the board level to the senior management level, you know, all the way down the line. And it takes time. You don't have it out of the gate usually. And you got to work towards it and find that common ground. And and it starts with that common vision of what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, for sure. And it's I think it's just human nature to either consciously or, or unconsciously, we just believe that other people communicate the way that we communicate. They think the way that we communicate. I mean, it works <laughs> for us, so why don't why aren't they just like us? But the fact is, if you just look at like, say for example, disc, right? The disc profile. That's that's four different elements. Whenever you look at uh, conflict resolution, there's a model called uh, TKI, the Thomas Kilman instrument, that has five different uh, dimensions. And so as you start to, to look at, and really this is the difference between just kind of reactively, haphazardly managing partnerships and then or really wanting to become a ninja, really wanting to become a true top-notch professional in partnering. And those are the folks that we want to work with. That's how that's that's what our system and our methodology is. It's it's the folks that want to be the top 10%. Um, to really understand the art and science of partnering. Excellent. So I'm going to step into number three, just uh, yep. real quick. So number three is goals, right? So goals is all about, identi- you know, just like Covey taught us uh, several decades ago, begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. And so we identify the goals. What are the intended outcomes uh, that we have? Element uh, number four is metrics. So it's all about data. What are the um, leading indicators and lagging indicators. What are these KPIs, these metrics? What's what's the scoreboard? How are we going to show, how are we going to objectively show that we achieve success? And then we'll step over to uh, element number five, which is processes. 
And so this is just identifying our, our processes, our core processes that we are going to use as a partnering operation. So a term sheet. What is a term sheet? How do we use a term sheet? What are the elements of a term sheet? Um, setting up you know, new strategic partnering plans. What is it? How do we do that? How do we engage with them? Whenever we negotiate contracts, what's our, what's our process for negotiating contracts to make sure that we do it effectively and we're constantly being able to learn from, from our successes and our failures? And so it's really important to not only identify processes, but then to share them, to follow them, and to constantly improve them. That's element number five. And then last, but certainly not least, is element six, which is results. And so that's the retrospective look back to see, essentially, did we accomplish our goals? Yes or no? And then the results element has us make those, make, you know, to make those tweaks, make those adjustments and then so the next iteration, whether it's a month or it's a quarter or it's a year, as we think about our partnerships, there's certain levers and knobs that we need to adjust so that the, the next iteration is more fruitful. Mark, then do you have both classes on you know, how to do this, how to set up this strategic partner leadership model, but also do you actually do consulting and help your clients execute on this to, to put this in place? Yeah. So our framework is set up in three different courses. We have foundations, which I call it the, the dictionary. We just, we make sure that everyone's using the same terms and we're all on the same page using that same uh, vernacular. And so uh, foundations is the first course. The strategic partner leadership model is the second course. And the five phase partnering process is the third course. And each course is about six to seven hours uh, in length. It's all video-based. And yeah, so people can hop on board and go through the courses on their own, right? We call it the do-it-yourselfer approach. Or we have a coached approach where we will work with them via Zoom on a weekly basis to step through the methodology to not only understand it, but then to, to implement it. Most importantly, to implement it uh, within their organization. Gotcha. Okay. And that would that be one-on-one or more like a, a team of, of folks from an from one company or maybe multiple companies? Yeah. So it's either, you know, one-on-one or what we typically do is is a teamed approach where we'll have a a company, it's either, you know, a director level or VP level, and then his or her team members. And then we will work with them as a team to to learn the methodology and to implement the methodology within their company. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. All right. So we're going to hone in a little bit on the the five phases of partnering. Awesome. Tell me, where does it start? Yep. So the five phase partnering process is, it's kind of, it's that iterative recipe that we use to take a potential partner from, hi, hello, my name is Mark all the way down to a signed agreement. And so phase one is building the strategy. And so if, if our company doesn't have a specific partnering strategy, and on the topic of strategy, what we say, what we believe, our methodology is each one of your partnering initiatives should have a partnering plan. So what do I mean by that? If we want to stand up a channel sales strategy, program, that channel sales program will have a strategic partnering plan. 
if we want to have an integrated technology partnering initiative so that we put our software module into some complementary company's software solution, that will have a separate strategic partnering plan. If we want to do some co-marketing, co-branding, and have a marketing-type relationship uh, for lead generation, then we could have a third type of, of a strategic partnering plan. And so we believe that you know it starts with having a solid plan that really identifies what the initiative is, how we're going to execute it, and then what defines success. Really, what are the goals? What are, what are the intended outcomes? And so step one, phase one, is developing that cohesive strategy so that internally within our company, from the CEO all the way down, we're, we're in alignment. We've got this on paper. We can all get on the same page as to what we're doing, how we're going to do it, and what defines success. And so that's, that's step one. That's phase one. That's getting the strategy. So now it's time to execute the strategy. On the first one, Mark, so far I've, I've got an A because we're following your, your methodology. So we've, we've set up at OutSystems, we've got our channel strategy document. We've got our MSP document, our ISV strategy, our tech alliance strategy. So we've carved out and defined for each of those what, what's our plan for each of those areas. And that sounds like what you're advocating as the approach. And, and are you saying, that, is this like an annual plan, a one-year scope or a longer horizon? Well, it depends. So it's, I mean, whatever the, the scope of the horizon is for, for that particular initiative. And so the strategic partnering plan should be a living document. Yep. You know, it's not that you spend a month or two months or six months to build a document and then it has to be etched in stone. It can actually be a living document. Um, you know, that, that evolves over time, or you can even have different versions. Um, some, some partnering initiatives may only have a six or nine month life. Let's say a co-marketing, uh, initiative Mm -hmm. that may have a shorter life than say, for example, a referral partnership program that we want to stand up for the West coast, um, that could have a a different, that could have essentially a perpetual, uh, life. Mm -hmm. Okay. But yeah, I love the idea. I love that that you have different uh, strategic plans for those types of partnerships because so many times I see organizations try to create this partnering plan for their partnering team, their partnering function that's going to include five or six different uh, you know partnering initiatives, and man, it just becomes un- unmanageable. It just yeah. becomes really cloudy, and you you definitely lose a lot of power by, by having it be so broad. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's, that's the first phase is just defining that strategy. Absolutely. Yeah. It's defining that strategy. And then the second phase that we step into is what we call engage. So engage is, this is the first time that we step out and start to talk to what we call partner candidates. So these are companies that, that we are interested in having conversations with to start to, to see if there's, if there's a fit. And so it's, it's how do we ask questions? You know, they literally gets down to open-ended versus close-ended questions. So we're really mm-hmm. getting down to the tactics of asking questions. How, to, how do we position the value that we can provide? How do we understand and really discover and uncover the value that the potential partners can provide? How do we vet and evaluate uh, these, these different partners? Sometimes we have initiatives where 
we only need one partner. Sometimes we have initiatives where we may need five or six different partners, but we have 10 or 12 that are viable candidates. Uh, how do we score them? Then how do we objectively, quantitatively score and rank them against each other? What are all of the different criteria that we should use to score and rank them uh, you know, against each other? And so phase two, that engage phase, it's all, it's all about how do we introduce ourselves and then how do we go through the process of really uncovering and discovering the value points that we could provide to each other? How do we evaluate alignment, strategic alignment, so that we maximize our probability of, of building a long-term successful partnership? You mentioned, you know, asking the right questions. That's so important. Are there, are there any favorite questions that you've uncovered or used in, in this step of the process of kind of qualifying that, that partner that, and well, it's both qualifying and getting them excited about a potential partnership. Yeah, absolutely. What, what I try to do, well, number one, the approach should be, and, and we should understand as partnering professionals that it is our obligation to show and to deliver value to our partners, right? I mean, so many times I think we go out and we seek partners because we need a particular resource. And so it's all about us. And so we just want to uncover and discover what this partner can do for us. But the most powerful partnerships out there are the ones that our strategic plan intersects with their strategic plan in a very close, very complementary way so that both parties just naturally, just by the course of their business, they naturally have an ability to provide that value, that missing link for each other. And so the approach that I take is I really want to, to uncover and understand this partner candidate's business what they're trying to do, where they're trying to go, why are they trying to go there? I want to really understand that. And then based upon that, it's almost like kind of asking them to show their cards first. And and the reason that I want to do that is because I don't want to um, influence them to have them position the story so that it fits what I present as a need. I really want to understand where they're going, why they're trying to go there, who they're trying to pick up along the way, you know, what are they trying to accomplish over the next one, two, three years, and how are they trying to do it? And then I can share, if, if I believe that there's a good fit, then I can kind of connect the dots for them. Um, but just another uh, little piece that I'll throw in there that's, that's a great technique is, you know, just, it's, it's about open-ended questions. You know, we should, we should truly be curious about their business and what they're trying to do. And most of the time, Folks are flattered, you know, that, that we want to understand their business and they're, they're happy to share that. But one of the things that from a communications perspective that, that I like to do is make sure that, that you always put a bow on, on the topics by asking close-ended questions. So summarize what you hear and then ask a yes or no question just to really make sure that you clearly understood what they articulated. Yeah. I like that. That's a great technique. So I think you're thinking along the same lines of what I like to find out when I'm talking to a partner and the, the, you know, a lot of folks, it's so 
tempting to just want to jump in there and tell them all about you, all about your company and your logos and your technology. Sure. But you are, you are influencing what they, how they may answer. But if you start out saying, hey, help me understand your business model, what's important to you and what you're trying to accomplish and get that unbiased view first, then you may be getting a much better answer that'll help you qualify if that's the right fit for you and, and how you can have a, a mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And for us, we love partnerships, right? We live in this world of partnerships. So we we love to form new partnerships. But at least for us, maybe it's just the way that I run, you know, maybe just my MO. But I'm just naturally curious to learn about people's business. But just like you, right? And all the other folks that that are in this partnering profession, we have massive networks of different people. And so maybe partneronomics isn't the missing link for them. But Maybe Rob is, or Mm -hmm. maybe somebody else. And so I don't necessarily even approach it thinking or presuming that partneronomics is the missing link. I'm just trying to find out what is their missing link. And then if I, if I think it's us, then I'll, I'll go down the partneronomics approach. Uh, But if it's not, I just asked for permission to make some introductions. Yeah. You're, you're looking at how can I help you? Yep. Right. And I might be part of the equation or I might not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great attitude. All right, so we're, we've engaged with the with the partner. Now what? Yeah, so now it's uh, phase three. Phase three is the the negotiating part or the bargaining. And so many times in putting deals together, we think about uh, you know the the dark room and the spotlights and you know just how <laughs> negotiations work. But really, that's that's not the case, and that's not the way that that we approach or we think about them. But you definitely have the bargaining side where you have to put the terms on the table as to, you know, what's, what each party is looking for. And absolutely a success practice here is to use a term sheet. And so essentially the way that works, there's different kind of versions and the, the term sheet grows as, as the, the conversations expand. But an, an absolute pro tip here is um, never put, uh, never is a strong word, we don't put contracts in front of folks until essentially everything is negotiated. The, the term sheet is the document to use to negotiate your, your impending deal. Because as soon as contracts get introduced, then that's when attorneys get introduced. And, and if you don't have alignment and agreement on the different business terms, what I'll call quote unquote business terms at a minimum. If you don't have alignment on all of those things, then what happens inevitably is attorneys, you know, come into the mix, they engage in conversations, they try to be helpful, and they want to negotiate your business terms for you. That is one of the fastest ways to kill deals. And so you need to use a term sheet and use that as a document to volley these business terms back and forth. Another pro tip that I'll put in here is that your your term sheet should also include non-standard or non-traditional legal terms. So for example, let's say that your company has um, no limitation of liability. So literally you could have up to a, a billion dollars worth of exposure uh, in this contract, they just and, and sometimes at Sprint we did this, where there's no limitation on liability. Well, that's probably seen as a non-standard term. Or let's say that 
you, they require a um, hundred million dollar insurance, a liability insurance policy. Well, that's probably non-traditional. That's probably a little strong. So if you have, if your company just requires some non-traditional, pretty strong legal, what I'll call quote unquote legal terms, you need to make sure and include those in your term sheet. Because one of the things that the term sheet will do is it will accelerate the, the time to get to know. And that is one of the most overlooked things in this whole five-phase partnering process or, or in this whole kind of courting process to try to get to a signed agreement or to go through that process. We underestimate the value and even some of the tools that could be used to accelerate the time to get to a no. Yeah. No, that's super important because otherwise a lot of time could be wasted. Then you present the contract and and now you're negotiating those those non-standard terms at the at the legal level and you could have brought them, surfaced them much earlier. Yeah, so true. I mean, we we have a, another framework that won't share in 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 this podcast, but it's called the Partnership Success Pyramid. And when we say it's it's the five imperatives for partnership success. And that that base level is trust, right? So everything in relationships comes back to trust. Yes. So I'm working with Rob, right? He and I are negotiating this deal. We get to the 11th hour. We were all in agreement on the business terms. And then he tosses the contract over to me. And the contract says we have to have $100 million of liability insurance. And this is like 10 times what any of my other contracts have ever read. What is that going to do to trust between me and Rob? It's not going to be good. It's not going to be favorable. Right. And so everything that we do needs to point back to, to trust building. I'm curious, Mark, you know, in, in many companies, they've got their, their established channel program. They've got a standard partner agreement that they use. In those scenarios, it, are you still recommending that you start with a term sheet rather than going straight to my, my partner legal agreement? So if, if our company has, um, you know, a, a standard you know, partnering contract, here's the terms, and this is the only way that we will play, non-negotiable. Yes, go ahead and toss that over the fence. And it, it's, it's, it's a transactional relationship, or at least you're, you're starting it as a transactional relationship. It's a yes or a no. Mm -hmm. And that makes it really simple. But what we believe is that partnerships themselves are on a continuum. And on one side, you have very transactional, more vendor-related partnerships where it's kind of commodities-based. Uh, you kind of go by a commodity set of rules of take it or leave it. <laughs> a lot of times, I mean, and this is, it's important, it's critical, and every company has those, right? Whenever it was this right. group, we have supply chain management groups, you have procurement groups, and, and they have very rigid rules and a very specific playbook that they go by and you have those and that makes perfect sense. And so if that is the rules, hey, here's our 50 standard terms. Um, if you want to play with us, you have to say yes to all of these. That's really efficient. Toss that over and see if they say yes. If you do, then you can, I mean, essentially you're you're treating that as your term sheet. I mean, that's, that's the rules to play. Right, right. But what we typically see and where we honestly like to work with organizations the most is more on the other end of the spectrum. And that is more of truly strategic partnerships. That's those those initiatives that are high innovation there's there's not a script built for them and it's where we're trying to create opportunities for differentiation so we can have we can have a play at higher margins 
and doing things that are less standard, unscripted. Yeah. Yeah. And so that would be more of your, your tech alliances that you see. And, and I think it even describes some of what things that we're doing in more of an, an ISV or MSP type relationship. Sure. Okay, cool. So we've negotiated the agreement. Then what? Yeah. So after we've negotiated the agreement, we've got it to the finish line. It's, it's the go, no go. We're either going to execute this agreement and get married <laughs> or we're not. <laughs> and so that's phase four. That's close. And uh, so sometimes we say, no, not the right time. No, not the right terms. Whatever the case is, sometimes we say, no, it just doesn't make sense for us right now. But in those cases where we say, yes, it does, let's do this, we execute the agreement. And then now it's ready for for phase five, which is operationalize the agreement. And that's where we, we use the strategic partner leadership model to operationalize that agreement. Okay. So then that this partnership then falls into that that model that we we were talking about before and just becomes part of that yeah that's exactly right we we use the basically we take this this contract that we've just signed with this new partner and we set it on top of the strategic partner leadership model and so now it's vision mission core values but it's not about our company anymore it's about our partnership so where is this partnership looking to go i mean what's what's our why how are we going to communicate and work together the teams element, the goals element, the metrics element, the processes element, and then to get results. So yeah, we just take this contract, we set it right on top of the SPLM, and then now we're working with this this partner in you know in a continuous way. Sometimes we have weekly conversations, sometimes it's monthly, but but we we pick a structure, we pick a governance structure, and now we go operationalize that deal. We don't leave it to chance. We proactively you know, manage and lead that partnership to success. Mark, I'm curious, you know, there, there's so much going on in the channel and partnerships and changes that are taking place. And one of the big ones that we're seeing is, you know, how the old partner types, those walls are really disappearing, you know, the integrator versus the reseller versus the MSP. And now we're seeing partners who want to do it all. They yep. want to engage, they want to engage with us and they don't want those labels because they engage in so many different ways. And many of them are non-transactional. Has that driven you guys at Partnernomics to change your offerings in any way or, or change the way you're approaching your customers? Well, fortunately for us, I mean, our framework itself is, is not real rigid mm-hmm. uh, in those ways. So it's, it's very flexible and fluid. Um, but definitely as, you know, just as Jay McBain, you know, and, and others talk about is just this ecosystem approach you know, yeah. It's not about these these siloed tiers of what we do, but it, it truly is having these different organizations look at their core competencies, look at what they can provide, the value pieces they can provide, either directly or indirectly. And yeah, there's there's a lot more gray than there is black or white. <laughs> yes, there is. But yeah, but these models, they kind of transcend all of that. It's It's intentionally designed to not have rigid silos, but to really be more of a fluid, uh, you know, approach. There's a lot more gray in my hair too, but that's, that's just, <laughs> that's, that's channel experience. <laughs> me too. Me too. On my skin as well, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, a lot of my audience, I think are more the traditional channel type, you know, managers, channel chiefs. Um, we're all, you know, struggling with these challenges. 
I hope I've got some tech alliance type leaders as well. Your courses, your offerings, are they geared more to one audience versus the other, or would it be applicable to anyone that's you know in partnering in some form or fashion? It would definitely be applicable to all. You know, so regardless if it's uh, you know channel sales or sales oriented uh, partnering programs or any other type of partnering program, all of those programs have to be managed, and yep. and so the SPLM framework is general but powerful operations model of to think about all of these different components. And so definitely is, is a fit there. And then the five-phase partnering process, right? It's building that strategy. It's engaging with potential and even existing partners, negotiating new deals, I mean, or even negotiating amendments, addendums to different agreements. And, and then again, going back to operationalizing those. So it really doesn't matter if we have very transactional uh, relationships or highly strategic where it's all about innovation and super high risk and a lot of unknowns really doesn't matter where it's at on that continuum. The, the framework fits for both of those. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Great. Mark, this has been fantastic. We've covered a lot of ground. I think a lot of useful information in here for everyone. Um, we talked a bit about your channel journey uh, from the Marines to Partnernomics. I always like to find out what my guests like to do outside of work, outside of the channel. What what kind of adventures do you have that you you like to do for fun? Yeah, I love anything outdoors. And so uh, I guess a little over six years ago, my wife and I bought uh, 40 acres about an hour south of Kansas City. And so, uh, and then just about three months ago or so, we bought a little cabin. And so that's kind of the latest thing has been uh, e- equipping the, the cabin to have a little weekend getaway, go down there nice. and do our thing with four wheelers and all that sort of stuff to, to go out. But man, I've done skydiving, done scuba diving, used to run half marathons. I've kind of, I've kind of gotten lazy. Actually, we just, got, <laughs> we just got a lot going on with uh, the business itself. So, but I need to get back to, to knocking out the half marathons again. But man, anything outdoors, I love that. Just get out and play in the dirt. Absolutely. Well, you were saying that you were you went out uh, for a bike ride. I think that's something that I would enjoy as well. Yeah, you ought to get a with forty acres. You could get some nice mountain biking in. Maybe make some bike trails out there. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so skydiving was that in the Marines? No, actually, I did that afterwards. Just had some friends on a whim that uh, said, "Man, actually, it was one of them. I, I believe it was their." 40 or 45th birthday and and they were going to go skydiving and they suckered in about eight or 10 more of us to do that. And uh, so it was, a, it was a static line jump, right? Which just means you jump by yourself, but you're, you have a line that's hooked back to the plane that pulls your chute for you. And so if all goes well and, you're, and your chute <laughs> deploys, you're loving life. Everything's good. You just have to steer yourself down to the ground uh, to a target point. But if your chute doesn't open, then <laughs> you start praying and start trying to fix things. So was, was one jump enough or did you go out for more? So there were a few of us in the group that said, if I only jump once, I'm only going to jump once for the rest of my life. And so there was a small group of us, I guess about half of us that said, we're going to jump twice this day. Just so <laughs> we force ourselves to go a second time. Yeah. And I can tell you the second time was a lot more enjoyable. I actually remembered <laughs> the second time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine the first time would just be pure panic. Oh my gosh. It's, it was undescribable. It, it's definitely the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. 
<laughs> I think one of the scariest things I remember was just there's this ride at the top in, in Vegas, that that needle tower. Oh, yes. And there's this ride that shoots you up in the air and then you free fall. But when you're free falling, you feel like there's nothing below you, like you're just going to fall a thousand feet. <laughs> and they take a picture of the expression of your face. Oh, my gosh. I could only imagine. <laughs> well, they're not right. recording audio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty hilarious. All right. Awesome. Mark, you've got a podcast. Where can people find that? Yes, sir. Uh, Partnernomics podcast. So either on our website, partnernomics.com or all the usual suspect places, uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, all those places. All right. Awesome. Mark, thanks again for joining us. Great work that you're doing. Um, Hope people will reach out to you to find out more about Partnernomics. And uh, I hope to speak with you again soon. Awesome. Thank you, Rob. Likewise. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Hey guys, that was a great session with Mark. We covered a lot of ground from the strategic partner leadership model to the five-phase partnering process. Great stuff. And that's just a sampling of what you can learn in the Partnernomics courses that Mark offers at Partnernomics.com. And you can also sign up to be a member of the Partnernomics community. What a great way to expand your network and chat with folks who are facing or have solved the same partnering challenges that you're working through. If you're looking to implement or upgrade your PRM, be sure to check out Magentrix. And here's the special offer that I promised. Check out Magentrix at Magentrix.com. When you decide to try them out, you can receive two months free on an annual contract just by using the discount code SPEEPOD20 when you sign up. All right, next episode, I have got a very special guest. I'll be chatting with channel legend Larry Walsh, which is sure to be a very interesting and thought-provoking conversation. You do not want to miss it. Until then, have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends. And be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.